Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Well, God established His church to live differently. That's why we are here today. It is not just to make us feel better about ourselves or to feel better about our walk with the Lord. It is for us to live a difference. And it's time we as believers remembered that uh, because the church at Corinth was not only a divided church, as we have talked about in the previous chapters, it was also a disgraced church. They had open sin that was going on publicly in the church, and they were not addressing it. So throughout this letter in First Corinthians, this letter to Corinth, the church, Paul is systematically revealing issues of sin that they must deal with as a church so they could be the church that God's called them to. But Paul first addressed their sin of pride that was causing division among them. If you remember a couple of chapters ago, some said, well, we believe that Paul is the best preacher. We believe that Apollos is the best preacher. We believe that Jesus is the best preacher. We believe that Peter. And there was all these people, they were kind of pitting their preacher and who they knew against everyone else. And it was dividing the church. But the thing is, is that now he's moving to something that's more sinister, more evil. The church has become indifferent. In other words, they don't care. They're apathetic when believers in the church have sin. And when I say that, don't, don't worry. I'm not expecting everybody in here to be perfect. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But what we're going to see here is the church allowed a public sin of someone who was unrepentant to continue in their sin and treat them just as if it wasn't even happening. That goes on in this world today, doesn't it? Today's church is facing the same impasse, the same crossroads, the same choice. What are we going to do as a church? Will it be the church that Jesus died for? Or will it be a gathering of people who look past God's word in order to please people? You see, God established the church to live differently among the world. And it's time we as believers, you and I, remember that. So today's scripture reads like the, trash, the transcript of a trashy daytime talk show. Don't worry, it's not going to say you are the father. But there's a lot of that stuff that goes on. And you see these people that are in these worst kind of situations. And you can't believe they did what with who and how and all that kind of stuff. And that's one thing you expect it on daytime TV. You expect that. I know that. I'm not a, a an ostrich putting my head in the sand. I know that goes on in the world today. It went on years ago. It went on generations ago. And it will continue to go on. But in here, in this position, in this place... It's almost hard to believe that this letter was targeting a church. But the rule is, as long as you have people gathered together, whether they are Christians or not, there is going to be sin because we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I hope by the end of this message, you see that it's it's not as much we have to be sinless to come to church. That is not what Paul is saying here. So we're all in good company there. But God established his church to live differently among others in the world. It's time we as believers remembered that. I heard on the radio the other day that uh, there 
somewhere in another state, somewhere the summer was kicking in, and they were looking for lifeguards to man their lakes or or whatever it was. And uh, they said in the the I get, do you say classifieds anymore? They said in the article, they said on the website, they said on LinkedIn, they said on whatever. They said that, uh, would you like to be a lifeguard? Please apply. Not required to know how to swim. You can't make that up. A lifeguard that is not required to swim. What are they going to do? Stay on the shore? That hey, hurry up, swim harder. But the truth of the matter is, is that if we are not careful, we as a church are going to think of ourselves as lifeguards that don't have to swim. Now, to put that in context, the ad did say we'll teach you how to swim. But what if somebody just can't swim? I guess they'll they'll make out the wash, but. The thing is, is that if we say that we are a church, we ought to be in the business of saving lives. We ought to be in the business of raising up the gospel. We ought to be in the business of living a difference of light in a dark world. So as we jump into our scriptures today, the first thing we see is that Paul addresses the sin that everyone else was ignoring. Now, they didn't say we're ignoring it. They, they put some, some fancy words and terminology around it, but bottom line is, they were ignoring the sin. Some of you may remember Apollo 13's mission. The famous saying, Houston, we have a problem. That's what Paul was saying. He was saying, we have a problem here. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verses 1 through 2, and I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. It says, I can hardly believe the report that the sexual immorality going on among you, something that even the pagans don't, don't do. I am told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. You can't make this up. You are so proud of yourselves but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame. And you should remove this man from your fellowship. So as we read that, whatever translation you have, I want you to understand that the first part of the verse, Paul is saying, I can't believe i got to put this in the letter. I can't believe we're talking about it. You ought to know better, but I'm going to address it anyway. He's saying, I can hardly believe the reports I'm getting. And so Paul is shocked by what he heard, and he knows that, again, Paul is the spiritual father of the church at Corinth. He is the one that started it, so a lot of people looked up to him. And so the news had traveled, it was the talk of the town among the believers and the non-believers. It had gotten to the point to where even those that weren't even in the church were saying, "Uh I'm not a Christian because you know what goes on at First Corinth? Yeah, they got a guy that's in a relationship with his stepmother. And they say that I'm a sinner. I mean, it had gotten out. They said, they're acting in the church worse than we do, and we're out of the church. And that's what Paul is telling them. And when he uses the term sexual immorality here, it's not just this one act with this one stepmother. The term here, uh, sexual immorality, is an ancient Greek word from uh, pornea, where we get the word pornography. And it refers to all types of sexual activity that is outside the biblical bonds of marriage. So it's not just 
this one incestuous relationship. It's all of them that's being tied into this. But he's addressing this specific one right here. Here's the acting question. Look at verse 1 again. I am told that a man in your church is living with sin with his stepmother. When it says living in sin with, or some translations say that one should have his father's wife, I want you to understand that term have or living with. This is not a one-time thing. This is not they went out partying, got drunk, and did something they regretted doing. They were in a relationship. Now, we don't know if the father had passed away and then they got together. We don't know if it was worse than that. And also, what you're going to see in this passage is that the woman is not really dealt with in this. The, the issue is the man here, and I'll explain that in just a minute. He said, this is something even the pagans don't do. Some scholars believe that the woman that he was, that was the stepmother may not even have been a Christian, may not even been Jewish, may have been part of that Greek culture because I'm telling you, back in Greek culture, they, sex was nothing to them. It was like, I'll never never forget when I was a good old preacher boy going to seminary and uh, we had to do some uh, workshops on campus. And of course, every little preacher boy is going to go down Bourbon Street in New Orleans. And that's as close to hell as I want to get. Because, I mean, it, it everything is not only, you don't know it's there, you see it. The doors are wide open. The, the staff are outside in the streets. The walls have pictures of what's going on on inside. So, little preacher boy knew exactly what was going on. It was in your face. And it was right here in the good old U.S. of A. And so, as open as that was, that kind of culture, and as as fixated as our culture is today on sex and wanting to indoctrinate children on different ideas from what the Bible says, and what people just want to be true to their sexual identity, not the identity that God has created them to be. That's another sermon for another time. I'm just telling you, we think, oh, it's so bad today. It was bad then. Maybe it'll help you understand the Scripture a little more. How do we know even the pagans didn't agree with it? There was a a non-Christian, what we call a a secular historian, philosopher, lawyer, and his name was Cicero, and he wrote about that. He wrote about the fact that truly that this was not right. He chronicled it in the church. And so if you have non-Christians writing about what's going on in the church, you know that it's gotten out. Now, we, as churches, we want to kind of keep everything quiet. We want to go into damage control mode, but this was out. Paul's point was that those outside of the church would not have known any better. The culture of that day, again, was highly sexual. Christian man, he knew better. But, Also, so did the church. I'm going to tell you about a a sin called the sin of omission. The sin of omission. What is the sin of omission? You can say you went and learned a big word at church today. It's called omission. But basically, James 4.17 talks about that. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Period. Knowing what to do, not doing it, is a sin. 
A sin of omission is knowing that something is wrong and not doing anything about it. I want you to see here that that Paul's issue was not with the stepmother. His issue wasn't even as much with the man who was having a relationship with her. His issue was the church was letting it go on and wink, wink, everything is okay. That's what he was having a problem with. So how should the church respond to unrepentant sin? Again, I want to say this because I want to be perfectly clear. If you have sin in your life today, join the club. I do too. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. We see the gospel presented here of people that are broken, doing the wrong things for the wrong reasons because they don't know any better. And that is why Jesus came to save us. But the issue here is someone who slaps the label of Christian on them, but still stays in their sin and has no desire to get out of it. Unrepentant sin. How should the church respond to unrepentant sin? Paul shows us to mourn in sorrow and shame, remove this man from your fellowship, and judge the sin, remove the sin, and what nobody likes to say is restore the sinner. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, traditionally churches do a terrible job of church discipline. Usually what happens in the church is if something goes on, people that agree with it leave, and the people that didn't agree with it stay. It's called a church split. And nobody wants to address it. Or somebody will say, we can't, we can't cross that person. You know, their family founded this church. It happens in every church. And here we have a need and a call for church discipline. And, and, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm not preaching this because what's going on in the church? I didn't know we had a problem. That's not why I'm preaching this. I'm preaching this because we are walking through the book of 1 Corinthians. And this came up. Maybe God is preparing us for what's in the future. But when he says in verse 2, we need to mourn in sorrow and shame. The church was not mourning the man, the sin of the man. They were tolerating it with their pride. Now, I'm going to meddle for a minute, but I'm just going to say it. Tolerate. They, 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 they were tolerant. They were a tolerant church. We see that every day. We see churches and denominations that are loving, accepting all, and tolerant of all those of all kinds of faith, all kinds of sexual orientation, all kinds of practices. And we don't want to, we don't want to criticize anybody. We just want everybody. We are so loving. Just like the church in Corinth, they were so proud that they were letting sin go on in their church and not saying anything about it. They were tolerant. They were ignoring the sin that God had placed before them. And again, I say for the umpteenth time, it wasn't the fact that there were sinners in the church. The fact was there was somebody publicly in a sinful relationship, acknowledged they were in a sinful relationship, and had no plan on getting out of it. They were members of the church. They could have been in the leadership. I mean, it was obvious that they were high-ranking officials in the church because everybody knew about it. I mean, think about it. If somebody had, if somebody cheated on their, their spouse or somebody cheated on their boyfriend or girlfriend and they just showed up to church, it wouldn't be a big deal. It'd be a big deal for the person. It would be a big deal for the families involved. But as far as the talk of that, oh, did you hear that there was an adulterer in church? Did you hear that there was somebody in church Sunday that was lying? 
Did you hear there was somebody in church that had a problem with addiction or pride? You can put whatever sin you want there. We don't hear that. That's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to bring people in here that have issues with sin and tell them about Jesus. What we're not supposed to do is say, oh, you're in sin? Well, you're fine like you are. That's what we're not supposed to do, and that's what they were doing. And the church of Corinth was saying, aren't we a loving church? Look how tolerant we are. They took pride in the fact that someone could be actively participating in sin, as outlined in the Bible, and still be in good standing with the church. Just as we mourn when a loved one of our family dies, the church, is it not a family too? So why do we not mourn? Why do we not hurt when there are are members in our church that are struggling with sin and they may even be unrepentant about it? Why don't we pray for them? Why don't we go to them? Why don't we, why don't we lovingly approach them and say, hey, how can we help? Next, after we need, what we need to do is judge the sin. Verses three through five. It says, even though I'm not with you in person, I am with you in spirit. There are some people that make that sound like Paul was what they call uh, doing an astral projection. In other words, he was doing like Obi-Wan Kenobi did in the Star Wars movie where he just shows up to Luke and talks to him in like a hologram. That is not what this is talking about here. He says, and as though I were there, I have already passed judgment on this man. So what Paul is saying by saying that is, I've rendered my decision. This is what we're going to do. This is not open for interpretation. You don't need to form a committee. You don't need to get a focus group. You don't need to ask somebody else outside of the church what we ought to do. This is what we're doing. He says, I've got the authority to do it, and this is what we are doing. Verse 4, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul is saying, not because I said it, but because Jesus Christ said it in his word. In the name of the Lord Jesus, you must call a meeting of the church. I will be present with you in spirit, and so will the power of the Lord Jesus. You must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan, so that his sinful nature will be destroyed, and he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. Boy, I can see that now. Put that on Facebook and put that in a text message. We're going to throw somebody over to Satan next Sunday. Come on in and have be a part of that service. That's not what that's talking about here. There, there is a, a better explanation that is, when we get through it, you're going to understand it. Judge sin. What about judging sin? If a church were to throw out anyone who had sin in their lives, none of us would be here today. And I know some people will be thinking, as soon as they hear the saying, well, we need to judge somebody for their sin, they think of when Matthew says in Matthew 7, or excuse me, Jesus says in Matthew 7, Judge not that you not be judged, or judge not lest ye be judged. We love to throw that out. People that are feeling judgment from people, they love to say, You don't need to judge me because judgment is not you. But here, if you look at the whole of that verse, it says, Judge not that you not be judged, for the judgment you pronounce will be judged with the measure that it will be measured to you. Look, judging your personal sin is between you and God. I am not going to be the judge to tell you you are sinning, you are not. That is what God's Word does. If you want to know whether you have sin in your life or not, here's the MRI machine right here. Right here. But church discipline is never enjoyable, and it's also rare, so many do not like confrontation. But if it's commanded in Scripture, 
we must obey God and set our personal feelings aside. Because here's the bottom line, folks, and I don't think many people take this seriously, but church membership is serious, and it should not be taken lightly. I know many of you have probably had your membership at other churches. They might be at another church right now, and hey, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not making light of that. But I'm telling you, to be a member of a church, to be a member of a family, it is something because I was adopted into the family with the last name Strickland. I am a Strickland, and I take that. I take, that's my life. That's my identity. That's my family. And just as Homeland Park Baptist Church is my family, your problems are my problems. My problems are your problems. And this church was not taking this seriously. When it says throw this man out, putting someone out of the church is not the first step in the process of discipline. There are passages in Matthew where it talks about the fact that if, if someone is in sin... Let's say, let's say, let's make up a name. Somebody give me a name. Give me a name, anybody. Bill. Okay. Bill is on the front row, and he is an unrepentant sin, and he is, uh, Bill is just, he knows better, but he's doing it anyway, and he doesn't care what people think because his family founded this church, and so he's going to do whatever he wants. He drives a big old pickup truck, and uh, I don't know what that has to do with anything. But he's right there, and he's in the front row, and he is with his relationship, and he's in—he's with his stepmother. And when I say with, I mean with. And he's sitting up there, and, and we all, you know, during the welcome, hey, it's good to see you, everything's great. But the leadership of the church would know that Bill's been a part of this church a long time, and he's not thinking with his head anymore. So what's going to happen is, is that some brothers in Christ are going to go to him one-on-one first and say, look, this is what the Bible says. We love you. We want to help you. And if Bill says, look, I actually, I don't appreciate that. I'm going to do what I want. And matter of fact, preacher, I'll get rid of you before I leave. Yeah, that happens. So Bill says, I'm going to sit right there in my pew. That's where I have sat for 50 years. And we're going to sit there and you're going to preach and we're going to get on with this. And then so doesn't get any better. And all of a sudden, then the preacher takes the deacons. And the deacons go to him and say, with him, and say, look, we've, we've, we're trying to handle this in public. This is what we need to do. And he says, I don't believe in y'all. I don't believe in you. This is my church, and I'm going to stay here. So what do you do? The preacher has gone to Bill. The deacons have gone to Bill. What does the church think when they see this going on and the leadership's doing nothing about it? What do they think? They're weak. If they let that go on, what else would they let go on? And then when it gets out that Bill's in this relationship with his stepmother, what do you think the people at the other church down the street are going to talk about? Well, you think we're bad. Have you heard of Bill over at Holman Park? And all of a sudden, it's a big thing in Anderson. And all of a sudden, it's on Facebook. There's somebody, rhymes with the name Will, at Holman Park Baptist Church is in a relationship with his stepmother. And then... Like, like, share. Before you know, it's going to be on Joe nose, and it's going to be just out there. That's what was happening here, folks. And so, yes, it would be bad if the leadership didn't didn't talk to Bill. But what's even worse is is if nothing happened, and then all of a sudden you have to say, okay, we've gone and we've got, I've gone one on one in private. I've gone with the deacons, and so now we're bringing it before the church. So if a church ever brings up somebody for church discipline to throw them off of the church role, 
then that is not the first step. That is the last nuclear object. That, that's, things have not gotten any better, and that's the only thing to do it. And some people will say, oh, that's no big deal. Bill says, go ahead, take me off your roll. I'm going to go down the street to the other church. And then he'll go to the other church and talk about how bad our church is. That's fine, but that's not on us. That's on Bill. Poor Bill. But the purpose of throwing the man out of the church was not so that because our, our reputation as a church was stained. It is not for the reason of um, being mean-spirited. It is for the simple reason of just like in our personal lives. If you've ever had a sin that you can't let go of, sometimes God says, Okay, big boy. Okay, big girl. I'm going to give you what you want. So what he's saying here is that for Bill here, Bill is not listening to anybody. So the church does what the church has to do. Bill gets really mad. And so we have to call the sheriff's office to be here next Sunday. So when Bill comes in, he knows he's not welcome here. He gets, oh, and the dad gets out. He's calling them. They're calling the police on the church. Poor Bill. What did he do? I can't imagine what the people on uh, Facebook are thinking right now. Bill is not real, okay? But but the truth is, is that when you're in the church, you have a covering. You ha- you are in an environment. You have a church family that is helped. It would be no different than if you've ever had a family member in your family or a friend that was toxic, and it was taken, and that friend or that person was taking everybody down, and you have to push them out. So they can come to the end of their senses. They can live in that sinful environment and give in to it until finally God wakes them up. And they return. Church discipline is not for the, for the purpose of uh, cleaning the church and making it holy. That's what we're supposed to be. The purpose of it is to restore that believer. And it, would you know that if you go to Second Corinthians, old Bill... He came to know the Lord, he, he confessed, he repented, and he got back in the church because the church took action. And my friends, if there's ever anything that happens with Bill or a Bill here, anything happens with the preacher or somebody on staff or a deacon or a Bible study teacher, we're going to have to go by this because, folks, I don't need to go far in my Google search to see what's happening today when churches sweep stuff under the rug. When denominations sweep stuff under the rug. We've got a black eye, and quite honestly, many of the churches deserve it. So I've just basically preached the rest of my sermon without my notes, so we're just going to catch up here. So we talked about judging the sin. And then we see the third point, remove the sin from the church. Remove the sin from the church. He says, verse 6, Your boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from you. Then you will be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So let us celebrate the festival, not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. Let me just kind of break here for a minute. What Paul is saying here is that 
Hello, wake up, you are the church. The Bible says that you are a new creation, a new creature, so why are you still living the way you used to live? I remember when, when I first became a Christian and, and I thought I was going to take on hell with a water pistol. Something happened and I went back to my old things that I used to do to cope with things and I realized that those things didn't give me that same satisfaction anymore because there was a change in you. You are a church. The things that used to please your sinful nature, okay, they're fun, but they're not fulfilling anymore. And they're not what God has called us to do. Paul is reminding them, look, you have been saved by Jesus Christ. Verse 9 says, when I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin. Let me, re- let me slow down because I'm about to blow through one of the most aha moments that I've had in a long time. Verse 10, but I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. I cannot highlight enough. Paul is not talking about to the people outside the church. He's talking to you and he's talking to me. And look what he says here in verse 11. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin. In other words, he's saying, Bill does not need to be your best friend. Bill is not a good example. He says, yet indulges in sexual sin and greedy or worship idols or is abusive or is drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. Look, we are God's chosen people. If you are a Christian here today, if you have the Holy Spirit in your life, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, it says in Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. What Paul is saying is, look, these people outside of the church that don't know Jesus, they sin because they don't know any better. But you, the church, you know better, but you're sinning anyway. That's what Paul had a problem with. The people in the church had acted like they were holier than thou, but they had issues just like everybody else did. And though the sweet, sweet little, sweet little Myrtle that, uh, is, is the old member of the church that saw Bill here every Sunday, although she never confronted him, though she always smiled at him when she came in, she was part of the problem! Come on, Myrtle! We'll finish up with verses 12 and 13. It isn't my responsibility. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders. But it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. Now, y'all probably going to think I'm going to be heretical here, but I'm just going to tell you what God showed me a couple months ago when I saw that passage. Look, there are Christians out there that are doing things in God's names that are amazing. They're showing love. They're showing compassion. And I applaud that. Missionaries that are on the field in North America and all around the world, serving others and showing them the Lord that is great. But there are also people who claim to be believers that are picketing, 
that are rioting, that are more political than they are religious. They're spewing hate. And they're spending all of their time judging people outside of the church. Sometimes I used to think, well, maybe our church is not bold enough because we're not picketing something or we're not, we're not throwing out signs somewhere. And then I thought, look, I take a stand on all the issues, but we're going to take a stand from a stand of love and the stand of the gospel. How can we help somebody not throw somebody's sin in their face? Why is that? Because of what it says here. Too many churches have been throwing their opinions out and have been throwing the convictions of the Lord out to the outside world of what the outside world is doing wrong, all the while they should have cleaned up their own front porch. I don't judge people. I am people. I am a sinner. Our church is full of sinners, of people that are trying to get it right the best they can. And we don't pretend to be holier than thou, but I am not going to spend all of my time telling you all about the evils of all the people outside of these walls if there's problems inside of the church. And so what Paul is telling the church at Corinth, and what we need to hear today is, y'all need to clean your front porch before you go sweeping on somebody else's. That brings you an air of authenticity. And if you've dealt and wrestled with God and dealt with your sins, how much more compassionate are you going to be as a church to people outside of it? How awesome would it be if people understand that although Bill had a, he, you know, Bill was a bad apple in the church, how do you think they would feel when they find out that the church lovingly escorted him out, but then Later, welcomed him back. We don't use church discipline to beat the sheep. We don't use it to grow the roles of other churches. We use it because we take a stand on sin that is public and defiant and affecting the church. I'll close with this. The church is to be a hospital for the sick, not a hospice for the unrepentant. I know this is close. I mean, Donna and I have had uh, some scares. Many of you families in here have had scares, and we have a couple of families right now that are going through this. But when you go and the doctor says, look, the test came back, it's cancer. What are we going to do? Get it out. What can we do to get it out? I want to be whole because that, if it's untreated, it will kill me. Folks, if we as a church allow the cancer of unrepentant sin to be in this church and to have the stamp of approval from our church, then we are dying just like somebody that has cancer because it will eat us up. Sin in the church is not a small thing. The Christians in Corinth, they were failing to judge where they should have made judgment. They should not have winked at their notorious sinner among them. Look, if you embrace a hashtag or a movement over what God's Word says, y'all know me. I am not um, 
Um, one of those guys, well, I do get red faced because I'm red hair, but I'm not one of those guys that tries to beat people down with the Bible, but at the same time, I don't apologize for what it says. And I will preach what it says. And I have to live by what it says. And so do you. And so as a church, let us be known for what we stand for, not the public sin that we allow. As I said, some people might say, well, what are y'all going through, preacher? Nothing. Except Bill. We took care of Bill. We're still working on Myrtle. But all joking aside, we may not need this right now, but at one day we will. And if nothing else, it reminds us that as a church, we are called to a higher standard. It's not just wearing a t-shirt, sporting a bumper sticker, singing your favorite praise song. It's a lifestyle. It's conviction. And it's making sure that if we have someone in our family that is struggling publicly with sin, that we help them, even if it means church discipline. Let's pray. God, thank you for our time together today. And Lord, uh, the invitation is simply going to be this today. The dear Heavenly Father, if if someone needs to know you as their Savior and Lord, today could be the day. I don't ever want to give, not give an opportunity for someone to come to know you. Maybe they've been beat up by churches. Maybe they've been those outside world that have been judged by churches that weren't cleaning their own front porch, so to speak. All joking aside, maybe there is a bill here watching your grace is big enough for all of us. And the fictitious person, Bill, or the real person that's here today, no one is beyond your grace. And as a church, may we love and support them and disciple them, Lord. But if there's one person that wants to come to know the Lord today, may today be the day. Maybe they want to join this church. or Maybe they just want to pray at this altar. Whatever it may be, this invitation is for you. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?